Amanda Shepard always loved art and design. She's been a professional graphic designer and design teacher for decades now, but she always felt something was missing. Amanda's upbringing wasn't perfect, no one's is, but it was a better life brimming with better opportunities than what's afforded to many other people. When Amanda realised this, she knew she wanted to do something about it. But what? I'm Craig Foster and this is Getting It Right, a podcast that dives into the stories of people and businesses who are hiring, buying and working with purpose. My name is Amanda Shepard and I am one of the co-founders of Green Fox Studio and Green Fox Training Studio. Well, it's wonderful to have you, Amanda, and I'm so looking forward to uh, delving into the incredible work that you're doing. Can we just perhaps start at the beginning of your uh, graphic design career? How did it begin? I guess design was one of those things that when you're a... um when you're a relatively poor student and have struggled to find, you know, your niche in the world, being creative was one of those outlets that I had as a kid. And, um, and it also, you know, with, with my childhood and being an only child, I suppose creativity was just the one thing that I used to use to, um, to fill my time. And, as I became a teenager and, you know, there were fairly turbulent years ahead, creativity became a bit of an escape for me. And, you know, at this, and without that being a negative thing, I think w- what I found was that I could use this, I could harness this creativity to actually create something really beautiful and for it to be not only a release, but well, perhaps it could be a career. And, um, and yeah, I think that I really, I think that in those later teen years, I really, I really focused on making something, making something out of, out of that. And, and so I was quite driven to, to want to be a designer. Um, and, and yeah, look, I, I have been a graphic designer now for 25 years. So I love it. It's an amazing profession. We're so fortunate to be able to do something that we love as designers. You now um, have this extraordinary um, foundation um, that you work in the prison system helping inmates. So how did you make that leap from I really want to use my skills to to benefit other people who who are less fortunate or perhaps in this case in some type of personal uh, trouble uh, across to the actual, uh, you know, the, the prison system and this concept of rehabilitation? At the time that I did make the leap, I suppose, I was working with my now co-founder, Kelly Wilmot, um, in, in media and I was on a maternity leave contract there. And I think, you know, Kelly and I had hit it off and we'd formed this, this great bond um, and I'd kind of expressed how I was feeling about loved being a designer, loved being creative, didn't like, you know, selling things really. That's, that's wasn't what, where I was at. And she was in, in a space that, um, she was feeling somewhat similar, you know, in that, uh, 
is there a greater purpose or or something? I don't know what it was. Um, and at the time, I had the opportunity to to start up a, a pilot program out at one of the prisons here in Queensland, uh, just to test the waters and see whether digital skills could be taught to prisoners, whether we could do this because. You know, there's there's no computers in prisons generally as a rule and digital skills are not taught to prisoners. So I went out there and I remember sitting there and interviewing around 50 inmates for the potential positions in the, you know, pilot program and just being so blown away by their enthusiasm. And it was, we held the interviews like real job interviews. They had to come with a completed design brief. They had to show some examples of their work and um, and talk through what it was that they, they wanted to get out of the program. And at the end of that day, uh, we'd selected about nine candidates to start up the pilot program. What do you do in these classes? What are you teaching the inmates? So we started off by teaching predominantly the Adobe Creative Cloud suite of um, programs, so InDesign, Illustrator and Photoshop. That was that was our mainstay and that was particularly because that's where Kelly's and my experience came from. So they were the, the programs that we'd used throughout our career and of course, being a social enterprise, we needed to generate work so that we could actually pay for our time to go in and train the prisoners. So we had to be training them in in work that we already knew how to do because we just didn't have the time to be able to teach, you know, to reinvent the wheel per se. Um, and that was predominantly, I guess, in in corporate design. So um, we'd do annual reports, we'd do logos, um, a lot of a lot of corporate collateral and and brochures and things like that, uh, which which is how we kind of kicked off the business. And then once we were actually in the prison studio, we were able to nurture much larger um, interests, I suppose, because these guys had so much time to dedicate to learning their programs that they actually became mentors in their own right. So what we found that was that we had around 30 trainees in the studio um, each morning and then 30 in the afternoon. So we'd have some full time. So they would work across the morning and the afternoon shift. And then we'd have trainees that would come in in the morning shift and a different set of trainees that would come in in the afternoon shift. So what happened was that the full timers, they started teaching and mentoring the the newer participants, which is how we were actually able to increase our numbers. Um, and then they would start learning different programs. They started learning more programs, way more than we knew. So they started learning, you know, motion graphics, 3D modeling. Um, We had, you know, we had people that had learned to code from reading books. 
So they'd actually never sat at a computer before. And all of a sudden they had this opportunity to put all of this knowledge into actual practical skills. And they were actually coding apps for us whilst we were in there. Um, you know, we saw, we saw some real incredible talent in a diverse range of creative industries. So what Kelly and I started looking at was, well, how do we nurture all of these different skill sets? Because not everyone's going to go in and become a graphic designer when they leave, but what skills can they actually take with them that can transfer across into their life once they leave prison? So it could be that, you know, they had really fantastic project management skills, or maybe they had IT skills, or, you know, perhaps they were fantastic writers or whatever that that may be. So when we kind of looked at the the vast array of of men that were working in that studio at the time, we went, this is incredible. Like this could be, this is just like a, a workplace. These skills are so transferable. We need to do this, you know, we need to do this elsewhere. We need to help lots of people. We can do this. There's there's no limits to what we can do. Um, so you can imagine as, as, you know, business owners, there's one thing, but but also as the, the charity arm, um, we thought, you know, we, we felt a real sense of pride and accomplishment because we could see that what we were doing was having real immediate impact. And we were directly working with the people whose lives we were impacting. And we would hear from their their families, you know, they would follow us on Facebook and they would, you know, they'd, they'd comments and it, and it was lovely. You know, it was really nice to actually see that all of this time and these sleepless nights <laughs> were actually paying off. Tell us about um, some of those who've moved on from the program and, and who, who are continuing with you. Yeah, look, we, we have so many great stories, Craig. I, um, but it is very much about breaking down that institutionalisation and seeing people as the people that they are, you know, as, as, as that they were meant to be rather than their crime. I think one of the, one of the things that I didn't realise when I went to work inside, you know, behind the bars was that um, prisoners are not actually rehabilitated. There's not, there's not a large focus on rehabilitation. The focus is largely on removing those people from the community where they're deemed to be a risk or, you know, whatever that may be to the community or to themselves or... Uh, and once they're incarcerated, they're just there's just not a lot of rehabilitation happening there. And that surprised me because I think, I think I'd always thought quite naively that, oh, well, you know, obviously when you go to prison, you spend a lot of time working on yourself. That's for those people that actually have the awareness and the insight to be able to do that. It's not facilitated. Um, and I think that there's so much that can happen in terms of the participants being able to work on themselves if they're provided the right means, I guess. It's being able to see those things, seeing, seeing achievement, seeing that they are able to, to do something that maybe they didn't believe. 
um, you know, if you're always told that you can't do something, you do start to believe it. But if you're told that, well, maybe that didn't work, but what about what about that? What about you give that a try? Then you start to see that, okay, you know, there are, there's other ways. And we have, I mean, our statistics would speak for themselves. So we've trained almost 170 inmates and um, up until, and I apologise, my statistics aren't you know, as recent, uh, but up until September last year, 29 of those inmates in the previous 12-month period had been released and only one had re-offended. So in terms of what we're looking at, you know, in, in recidivism rate, the average recidivism rate around, in, in Queensland anyway, is about 47%. You know, it's it's near 50%. So when you look at our statistics, we're talking about less than 4%. What about the world outside the prison systems, the corporate world where your clients are and that you're, you know, having inmates work on their projects? How has that been received? Yeah, so that was a, that was a tricky one for us to tackle in the, at the beginning because we thought, how do we lead with this? As a social enterprise, I think... Um, I think that generally there's a lot of perception that, oh, a social enterprise is nice, but the work that they're going to do is not as good. And Kelly and I really wanted to make sure that that wasn't what we led with. So we built up, we built up the full service creative agency with highly qualified, experienced staff that can mentor and role model the the inmates as they're learning. And... I think building up that reputation in the first instance then gave, you know, large corporates the the confidence and the belief to move forward with, with what we were doing. So it is just, you know, it is just educating our clients on how we work and 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 getting their feedback and input into how they would like to work. Would they like to work, you know, with the prison studio? Would they like to work with the young people or the women? And and then just working with them and having a really nice open relationship with them about how it's actually working. But at the same time, what we've been really um, proud of is that we can honestly say to them, regardless of how you work with us, whether you work with our social enterprise or with our training studio, everything that you put into our social enterprise is being reinvested back into training and helping people of disadvantage because that's the only way that we've been able to fund it. In the last 12 months, we've we've actually been really fortunate in that we've successfully managed to get uh, secure a number of grants Thanks to Phoebe, who is an incredible grant writer, one of those other skills that she had no idea that she could do. But in the last 12 months, she's she's managed to secure at least five grants for us, which has been amazing because we realised that even though we had this, this charity registered, that we actually weren't even using it as a charity. We were, pu- we were putting all our blood, sweat and tears into it, you know, from the creative agents. And we went, we're a charity. We can actually apply for a grant. How about that? <laughs> you know, but oh, um, but yeah, it's it's there's there's so many ways in which our corporate clients and partners can can contribute to that. 
Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you, Craig. That's Amanda Shepherd, co-founder and managing director of Green Fox Studio. And this is Phoebe, one of Green Fox's success stories. Phoebe, thanks so much for joining us. Can you just start by um, taking us back to your extensive experience in the creative industries? Where where'd your interest in the arts begin? I actually used to be a nurse um, and I went through a bit of um, an unusual experience where my boss, who I really looked up to, um, got diagnosed and died within four days of finding out she had a really aggressive um, form of leukaemia. And uh, that was uh, pretty difficult for me. But in that time, I was actually... Um, soon after that, was writing the selection criteria for the woman who would become my new boss. Um, and I realised that I probably should be a writer instead of a nurse. <laughs> and so I ended up um, signing up to do a master's degree in writing at UQ. And um, that's where I got my qualifications to become an editor and a writer. Um, and while I was there, uh, my professor uh, said that it would be uh, beneficial to learn graphic design because uh, it's good for publishing. And so I took myself off to design school as well and sort of accidentally became a graphic designer. Now, a few years ago, you found yourself in prison. You know, I understand that you can't go into great detail, but could you just give us a sense of that period in your life and, and how it changed things? Um, obviously I hadn't, um, planned to make a huge life-changing mistake. Um, one day I was in the community doing my thing and working and being a normal person and the next minute I was in the Brisbane Watch House, um, wearing a suicide gown and no underwear and, um, just separated from my family and... Yeah, it was extremely distressing, extremely confronting. Um, it all just happened really quickly and I actually, for the first month or so, I, it was like being in a dream almost. Like I didn't, I was just so distressed and I was so traumatised and I just couldn't stop crying. I was just crying all day and I couldn't, yeah, I actually don't remember probably the first month of being in there. Um, I they first put you in a secure unit and you have to, um, they see sort of what you're like and how you behave and everything before they progress you to lower security accommodation, which is like residential. Um, I actually met people during that time when I was insecure, <clears throat> but I, um, I didn't actually remember meeting them. And so when I went into residential, I had to meet all these people all over again. They came up and they knew me, but I didn't know them. I just had absolutely no recollection. Um, so yeah, I don't really remember very much about the first part. I sort of look back and think I probably should have been afraid, <laughs> but um, I wasn't because when, when you're in so much grief and distress that you can barely keep yourself alive. You're not exactly worried about what's going to happen to you. So, I'm so sorry to hear about it. Thank you for sharing that with us. While you were um, inside, you started to 
have some type of work experience. Is that right? What type of work were you doing? And did you know at the time how different work experience was in women's and men's prisons? Um, as I went on and sort of um, like became friends with people and started learning things about how the system worked, um, yeah, I, I it became more obvious um, that there was like quite big differences between um, women's and men's work in prison. Um, and we were transferred to Southern Queensland Correctional Centre in 2018, at the end of 2018, um, and that was formerly a, um, a men's prison. And so um, the girls there had to take up the work that the men were doing previously. And so um, the main uh, the main work that they do there is um, it's in industry, so they do woodworking and they do steel work and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the girls basically started doing some things that they'd never done before. So... Um, and you, yeah, you'd be surprised. They picked it up, and actually, I um, I had a job where at one point where it was also a trusted position, um, and I would clean th- uh, through visits, and I would just be supervised by one officer at a time. So I got a chance to sort of you know have conversations and discover what things were like. Um, and one of them told me that the amount of work that the girls were doing compared to the men, like they'd actually doubled the output. So they were producing twice as much as what the men were, almost to the point that the prison couldn't keep up with them. There wasn't enough work within the prison because the girls were working too fast. And in your experience, how valuable, how important are these, you know, genuine uh, work experiences or education programs inside Australian prisons? And, you know, what do they give to the people? Um, I'm really passionate about education and training um, and I would say it is absolutely critical. It's critical to um, somebody not being a criminal and reoffending when they leave prison. It's critical. Um, I, I met one girl and she'd been in prison lots of times. I never saw her after that so I think she's probably been, been doing quite well then, at least I hope so. Um, but she said the only things she's ever achieved um, that she was proud of were things that she achieved in prison. So um, for a lot of a lot of those girls, I think um, it sort of gives them an opportunity that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And obviously I have mixed feelings about prison and I am, you know, obviously don't like our increasing incarceration rates that, that are increasing despite the fact that crime is actually falling. There's a lot of issues there, but I think that prison can be an opportunity to provide opportunities for people that never would have had it previously. I think that the more diverse it is, actually, the better. Um, if there were more opportunities, I really feel like it would directly influence the reoffending rate. I th- if there were more things for people to learn, to cater to you know people's different um, preferences and skills and abilities and everything, I honestly think it would dramatically impact um, how many people come back. And before you found Green Fox, you went through a process of applying for employment. Tell us about what that was like and how broader society deals with the concept of criminality. 
Um, when I was released, um, obviously my first priority was getting work. Um, I couldn't go back to uh, the work I was doing previously, really. I sort of knew that I needed to start from scratch. Um, so I thought I'll work for somebody else. And so I made about over 60 applications through SEEK to um, existing agencies. And I still don't know why all I heard was radio silence. I feel like it's either because um, I worked for myself or that they just, they Googled me. And obviously the first thing that came up was really unflattering. And most people would just look at that and go, I'm not going to touch that with 20 foot pole. So um, I still don't really know the answer. But what actually happened was I got really demoralized and I was very despairing. I mean, I have four university degrees and I couldn't get a job. Like, that's ridiculous. I ended up Googling something along the lines of employment for former prisoners or um, employment for ex-offenders or something like that. And one of Green Fox's partners came up in the Google search. And when I went through the website and had a look at it, it I clicked through and it connected to Green Fox and I discovered that there was a creative agency that actually taught graphic design to prisoners. Um, and I had no idea that um, the entire time that I was in prison, they were working out of Burrellon, um teaching graphic design. And what was it about Green Fox that appealed to you? I liked their website, actually. That was probably one of the thing, first things that grabbed me. I, I liked the aesthetic um, and it looked it looked nice. And I'm a graphic designer, obviously. I, you know, that, that was probably the first thing that grabbed me. But probably the second thing was the tagline that we go by, um, which is make time count. So I, I'd already become quite passionate about that. I became passionate about education and training before I knew they existed. And then I just, I saw that and I just got really excited. I just couldn't believe that somebody was doing it. I, th I thought I'd thought of it myself, but clearly I hadn't. Um, and it was just like it was meant to be. It was serendipity. I, yeah, it was a small miracle really. And so tell us about the work that you've been doing. You, you've, you know, I understand that you're involved in uh, application for a considerable amount of grants, which has been a huge help to the organisation and to many uh, inmates in the programs around the place. Um, what is it that you do from day to day? Um, I <clears throat> I commenced employment with uh, Green Fox doing design, but it was quite soon after that. Um, I was struggling a little bit at the start because um, I've, I've since discovered it's a, it's a thing that other people experience um, with the digital divide. So you go into prison for an average, the average is around about two years um, and it impacts your digital literacy. And for me as a graphic designer, that accounts to hundreds of updates in the Adobe suite um, that I now didn't know how to use. And so I'd been competent prior and then I came out and found it really difficult because all my tools were moved and I didn't know how to do things. And Obviously, Amanda and Kelly have been doing this constantly for decades and they're just so fast and um, I just, yeah, I went through this period of a bit being a bit despairing because I couldn't keep up and it was actually through that I, I said, give me some writing because um, that's the one thing I can always deliver on. And so um, we did that and they 
soon discovered there was um, that I was a good writer. And so um, progressively, I guess, I've just picked up more and more. Um, I'm really happy to that I'm really happy that my writing is actually translating into um, directly into benefit. Um, I'm making us real money. I'm helping us secure real money to make these, to make out as, you know, more and more studios everywhere to it's every time I win one of those, it's more opportunity for other people. And it just makes me really happy. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really enjoying that. I'm also um, enjoying that um, I've kind of helped to expand the service offering a little bit. And so I've, um, it was a bit scary at first. I was writing for some of their, you know, really important clients. And I, obviously I was nervous, but then um, they really liked what I was doing. And now I'm doing it on a regular basis for some of these companies. And um, my little part in that has has helped them to grow and helped them to increase their sales and all of that. And it's I can see that it's actually doing something and it's really satisfying. That's Phoebe from Green Fox Studio. Thanks for listening to Getting It Right. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, make sure you scroll back through your podcast app and check them out. There's plenty of inspiring stories about hiring, buying and working with purpose that you don't want to miss. And to make sure you don't miss the upcoming episodes, hit follow in your podcast app while you're there. Getting It Right is a Jobs Bank podcast produced by Deadset Studios. 